Jewish Bible, it's page 458. If you are using another translation, it is Revelation chapter 3. If you are French, it is Apocalypse. Trey. Halfway down the page of 458, we read these words. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Out of the seven letters, this is the one that frightens me the most. There are sitting among us today some who have a reputation of being alive, but they're dead. Maybe even the majority of us. May the Holy Spirit give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. There are many ways that we could title this study. I've simply chosen to entitle it, The Church That Was Asleep, for reasons that will become very apparent later on in the words that Jesus said, and in the condition in which this church was in. As we have noted in our study of the seven churches, Jesus, through John, presents them in the form of a literary device known as a chiasm. It comes from the Greek word chi, which is the word for X. And so these are presented, as you see, in the shape of an X. At either end of this chiasm, the beginning and the final, are the churches that were critically unhealthy. And they were critically unhealthy because Jesus said to them, first to Ephesus, if you do not repent, I am going to remove you from being among the churches. And to the church of Laodicea, if you don't repent, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. 
Next to those were two healthy churches, the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia. And at the center, the heart of this chiasm, were three unhealthy churches. Pergamum and Thyatira, which we studied last week, had similar issues. They were very unhealthy churches. The church of Sardis was not only very unhealthy, it was ignorantly unhealthy. Now let's remind ourselves of a few things that this chiasm has taught us. Number one, Jesus knows his churches. He knows every church in every age. He knows them intimately. And these seven churches represent the way in which Jesus sees and evaluates every church. And because churches are made up of individual Christians, the way in which he sees and evaluates every Christian. Most churches, and therefore most Christians, have very serious spiritual issues. We saw from this chiasm that healthy churches are the minority. The majority of churches, as Jesus sees them, are sick. And thirdly, churches with serious spiritual health issues often have a few healthy Christians. But as Jesus said, they are very few. In general, these letters that Jesus has written, although we have noted that they are more like sermons or they correspond to prophetic oracles of the Old Testament, there is a particular structure that he usually follows. First is his identification, telling them this letter is from, and then he describes himself most often using descriptions that come from chapter 1. Secondly, he commends them. I know all the things that you do. Then follows, with the exception of Smyrna and Philadelphia, his condemnation. I have this complaint against you. Then his words of correction. Repent, otherwise... And then finally, his admonition. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit. And he gives a promise for everyone who is victorious. So look at this letter with me that Jesus has written to the church at Sardis. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. Now, one of the things that we noted in the beginning of our study several weeks ago is that Jesus holds in his hand seven stars. Commentators are divided concerning the identity of those seven stars. Many of them see them as angels, guardians of the church. Others see them as the spiritual leaders of the church. The chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, writing a letter to the under-shepherds of those churches. As I noted for you before, I find it a little bit awkward to say the least, that Jesus would send a letter to an angel and make that angel accountable for the spiritual condition of the church. If you don't repent, I'm going to remove your church from its place among the other churches. Some of the other things that we have seen. I believe that Jesus is speaking to 
the shepherds of those churches. He is speaking as the chief shepherd. He is speaking as the one who holds his churches accountable. He has the seven stars in his hand. He holds in his hand the spiritual leaders of all the churches. And he said, this message is from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God. That's how Jesus identifies himself. The one who has, the one who possesses the sevenfold spirit of God. This is the second place in which we have seen this description, sevenfold spirit. We saw it in the beginning of chapter 1. We will see it two more times in this book of the Revelation. The next occurrence takes place in chapter 4. The scene is the throne room of the unapproachable God. The Apostle Paul said that God dwells in unapproachable light. You and I cannot approach God. As conveniently and easily as we might pray here on earth and know, justifiably so, that we are standing before the throne of grace, you and I cannot approach God. He is unapproachable. John sees this scene. The Lord God Almighty is how he is identified and worshipped. A three-part compound name. The Lord God Almighty. And we read these words in chapter 4 and verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. The next occurrence is part of the description of the lamb looking as if it had been slaughtered in chapter 5. Verse 6, we read, He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Now, in these instances, chapter 4 and chapter 5, the sevenfold spirit is described as a fire that consumes, horns that pierce, and eyes that go everywhere, seeing everything and everyone. Remember that. Jesus possesses the Spirit who consumes with fire, who pierces as with horns and who goes everywhere, seeing everything and everyone. We have noted that the number seven is prominent in Revelation. It represents comprehensiveness, totality, completion. Remember this. As Jesus identifies himself to the church at Sardis, he possesses in infinite fullness the sevenfold spirit who knows everything about every church and every professing follower of Jesus Christ. Typically, the letters that Jesus has written then follow this identification with a commendation. But for the church at Sardis, there is no commendation. This is what he says to them in verses 1 and 2. I know all the things that you do. Sam, I know all the things that you do. Nakim, I know all the things that you do. Aaron, I know all the things that you do. Kingsley, 
I know all the things that you do. These are the words of Jesus. The same way that he has begun his commendation to the other churches that we have studied. But he follows it by saying, and that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left behind is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. That is a scathing evaluation. Jesus is withering in his denunciation of the spiritual condition of the church at Sardis. It is as if Jesus is saying, I know everything that you do. Everything that makes you and everyone watching you think that you are spiritually okay. The fact is that I say you are dead. Whatever you are doing that makes you and others think that you are good as a Christian is in fact unacceptable to my God. You are derelict, asleep on the job. And you had better strengthen the shreds of your Christianity before I say to you, don't bother, it's too late. What does Jesus know about Sardis-type Christians and churches? He says four things here. First of all, I know everything you do. This is an extraordinary statement. It has become familiar to us. But in the context in which Jesus speaks it, it's extraordinary. To the three previous unhealthy churches, Ephesus, Pergamum, and Thyatira, even the sexually compromised Thyatira, these words prefaced a commendation of what Christ saw that was commendable, not Sardis. He saw everything they did that they thought was good, and none of it was acceptable to him. The second thing that he said, I know that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Listen, to everyone who saw the people, the Christians, the worshipers, the church attenders at Sardis, there was every indication of spiritual vitality. But Jesus did not even say they were sick. He said that they were already dead. The third thing that he said to them, wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. Like those afflicted with somnambulism, People who engage in routine tasks, like dressing, eating, and talking. Multi-sensory tasks, like driving. And intimate activities, like sexual intercourse, while being fully asleep. Sardis-type churches and Christians are sleepwalking their worship and their relationship with Jesus Christ. To everyone seeing them, they look normal. Don't we look normal to one another? Don't we sound normal to one another as we worship the Lord this morning? To everyone seeing them, they look normal. In reality, 
this condition of parasomnia occurring in the deepest stage of NREM, the deepest stage of non-eye movement, deep sleep, Sardis-type Christians are already asleep in their false sense of well-being. The fourth thing that Jesus said to them, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. It is significant that Jesus does not say to them, your God, but my God. It is almost as if he has already disassociated himself with them. As if his eraser is poised over their names in the book of life. What does Christ's God require of them? Above everything else, God requires that you and I be obedient to Jesus Christ. How many of you prayed this week that God would send laborers, workers into the harvest field? Two of us have raised our hands. You see, if we have not prayed that prayer, we've been disobedient. Oh, it's not a big thing, Pastor. It is a big thing, too. His God. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. If we have not prayed that prayer, we've not been obedient. Let me ask you a second question. How many of you thought about it this week and then prayed into it, God, how do you want me this week to take the gospel to people who are not at all like me and make disciples. Let me see your hands. None of us. None of us acknowledge that we prayed that this week. And yet, that is what Jesus has called us to do. Every single one of us. You see, above all, Christ God requires that you and I be obedient to His Christ. Self-sacrificing love for Christ and others. A servant ministry, which Jesus identified as us washing the dirty feet of other people. Being a witness, making disciples of those unlike and far from us. Moreover, as you and I look in the pages of Scripture, Christ God requires that you and I have humility before Him, a broken heart over our own sinfulness, a merciful spirit, and a forgiveness that matches His forgiveness to us. The head of the church then issues his correction and warning to the church at Sardis. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Christ's correction to Sardis-type churches and Christians reveals the extent of their diseased condition. Look at it. Go back to square one and start all over. Do you hear the words of Jesus? Go back to square one. Start all over. The only way for their condition to be made right was to go back to the basics of following Christ. To repent. To begin all over as a new believer. There's a word for it. It's called revival. 
But then who wants to acknowledge, especially before one another, who thinks that we're alive, that our commitment has been a sham? And so Jesus then says these words to the church at Sardis. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpected, as a thief. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and said, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief. Can you imagine going to the doctor for your annual physical? The doctor examines you, hmm. sends you down the hall for an x-ray, sends you over for another test. Just routine, he said, we want to check everything. And then comes back, you see the concern on his face. And the doctor said to you, do you want the good news or the bad news first? And you say to him, the good news, doc. And so he tells you that your blood pressure is good. He identifies a couple of other areas that are good as well. And then he says to you, now, oh, wait a minute, Doc, don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. But I need, no, no, no. I only want to hear the good news. Don't tell me anything else. He tries again, but no, Doc, you didn't hear me. And you turn to the nurse. Do you see anything wrong with me? Don't I look okay to you? Do you hear me coughing? Did you see me fall over when I walked in? And she said, no, but... Doc, see that, Doc? I am good. There's nothing wrong with me. Your own nurse just said that I look good. The doc tries one more time. No, 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 doc. I already have it on the word of your nurse. And I know I feel really good. And so you walk out of the doctor's office and the doctor says to the nurse, I will email my report because it is my obligation to inform the patient. If he would only listen to me, I could save his life. But as it is, he'll be dead before the end of the month. This was the church at Sardis. Don't tell us that there's anything wrong with us. Look at how we worship. We know when to say amen. We know the scriptures. We've been baptized. We go to church. And besides that, everyone knows that we love Jesus. Everyone tells us what good Christians we are. As far as what Jesus would say to us, We're not interested. You see, the church at Sardis was asleep. And those who are asleep 
are unaware of impending disaster. They are pretending that everything is okay. When you and I go to sleep, our assumption is everything is fine. No one's going to break into our house at night. Jesus said, if you knew when the thief was going to come, you would stay up waiting for him. Just like if you went to the doctor and you didn't want to hear anything except what you wanted to hear, you would be a fool. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what other people are saying about us. We need to go to Jesus. For those who are asleep and ignorantly pretending that there will be no disaster, there's only one solution, wake up. Then come these words of commendation. But mark them carefully. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The NIV translates this very few. There are very few in the church who are not asleep. Not pretending to themselves or listening to the affirmations of others. To Jesus Christ, it was as if the majority of the church had soiled their clothes. Do we need to put it in plain terms? It is to Christ as if the majority of the church had pooped in their underwear. Like a baby soiling its diaper. There was little or no evidence that God's grace was at work in their lives. They exhibited no conviction of sin. No spirit of repentance. No need to seek God. No depth of affinity and love for the body of Christ. No sense of mission for those for whom Christ died. There was little proof of true Christ-likeness produced by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the one who cleanses us, the one who washes us, the one who makes us acceptable, the one who takes away the stink of sin and self, and the one who infuses us with the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. The majority sounded good. They looked good. But the work of the Holy Spirit wasn't there to testify. Salvation is by grace. Hallelujah. Salvation is based on the merit of Christ. Merit that was obtained by Christ making payment with his life. Salvation is by grace, but we are called to live according to the worth of Christ. We are called to live according to the worth of Christ. And that, friends, is what characterized the remnant at the church in Sardis. They lived according to the work of Christ. They had not soiled their clothes with evil. They were walking in righteousness with Jesus Christ. 
Two verses of Scripture for you, two passages of Scripture, in which Jesus Himself speaks of what it means to live according to His worth. Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In Luke 21, verses 34 through 36, Jesus said, Be careful. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will suddenly close on you like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Let me ask you one more question. How many of you prayed this verse of Scripture this week? Lord, I pray that you would keep me from this world and that I would be worthy to stand before you in heaven. I saw two hands. Wake up. Wake up. That needs to be our prayer every single day. It needs to be your prayer. It needs to be my prayer. Jesus finally makes his admonition. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and His angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Let me ask you again this morning, to whom are you listening? To whom are you listening? You and I must have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about us. It doesn't matter how good we look to someone else. All that matters is how the sevenfold Spirit sees us because He knows everything. Christ promised three things to those who are victorious. Number one, they would be clothed in white. When you and I turn to Revelation chapter 19, we find the scene set as the married supper of the Lamb. The bride of Christ, those who have been watching and waiting and preparing themselves before Him, are presented to him as his bride. And John records that they are clothed in white robes, and he tells us what those white robes mean. They stand for the righteous acts of the saints. In other words, you and I determine down here what we will wear up there. The righteous acts of the saints. Second thing he said is that he would never erase their names from the book of life. That is a frightening statement. And I don't care how my commentators present it, either from the Calvinistic side or from the Armenian side, it is a horribly frightening statement. As I said earlier in the sermon, when Jesus speaks to them, it is as if 
His eraser is poised over their name in the book of life. And if they don't take drastic action, their name will be erased. To all who are victorious, I will never erase their names. Don't give Jesus a reason to erase your name. But I will announce before the Father and his angels that they are mine. Remember the words of Jesus. If you acknowledge me here on earth before others, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you do not acknowledge me before others, and by the way, I believe that that very much also involves, maybe at the heart of it, maybe the 99% of it, that you and I are telling people who don't know about Jesus, about Jesus. That we can't acknowledge him without being a faithful witness to those who don't know Jesus Christ, especially because he has called us to go outside of those who are like us and those who are far from knowing the Lord. Jesus said, if you don't acknowledge me before others, I will not acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. I am not saying that we are saved by works. But I am saying if the Holy Spirit is not at work in our lives, we are in grave danger. And the church at Sardis, despite what everyone was saying, Oh, my, they know how to worship. That music, ooh, just makes you want to dance. That preacher, ooh. doesn't matter what other people say or think. It only matters what the head of the church sees and what the sevenfold spirit has seen and reported back to him. To be asleep is eternally fatal. To be asleep is eternally fatal. Understand what Jesus is saying to the churches. You can be the pastor standing in the pulpit and preaching this message today. And everyone think that you're good, you're okay, and be asleep. You can be a musician on the platform here, leading other people into the presence of Jesus Christ. And to every one of you, it looks like they are fully engaged in their relationship with Jesus Christ, but they are actually asleep. It could be the person that you are standing next to whose voice fills the place with worship and praise to Jesus and yet have the sevenfold spirit report back to the head of the church. When I looked into their heart, it was empty. They are sleepwalking their relationship with you. Listen, friends, we are good at automatically saying amen. I've played you in that way, I fully admit, at times. Saying something that the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. And saying, isn't that right? And everybody said, amen. We're sleepwalking our way through the service. The end of the service comes, our hearts have not been stirred. Next Sunday comes, we can't remember anything from the previous Sunday. We did not hide the word in our hearts. We did not, as Jesus said, put it into practice. We were asleep. It's gone. 
We lost it. The enemy stole it. I told you this is the message that frightens me the most. Because in every way, we can look to each other like we are the epitome of followers of Jesus Christ. And yet have him look at us and say, you're dead. You're dead. Shall I erase your name from the book of life? Listen to his voice today. Wake up. Hang on to the shreds of your Christianity before you lose that too. Go back to square one. Remember what you need to do as a follower of Jesus Christ and do it before I come like a thief and there's no more opportunity. Let's pray together. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? He knows you better than you know yourself. He sees what you are too biased to see. He sees everything inside of you and I. We saw the words in chapter 5. He goes everywhere. He sees everything. He reports it back to the Lord Jesus, who already knows everything because he knows the intents and the motives of our hearts. And by a twofold witness, everything is established. Has the Holy Spirit said anything to you today? Is your life going to be any different in your walk with Christ? Come next Sunday than it is this Sunday. Do you have ears to hear what he is saying? I love you, my friends, and because I love you, I need to share with you every word that Jesus has spoken. My role, my responsibility is not to make you feel good when you leave here, but cause your heart to be stirred, to hunger and thirst after Jesus, to pursue a life of surrender, to cry out for sanctification and purity, to be set apart from this world to give yourself to live for his purposes and not for anything secondary that will be worthless when you stand before him. I pray that we have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Father, would you speak to our hearts in such a way. Ah, those you love, you discipline. You correct us. You rebuke us. You exert painful discipline in our lives. You prune us so that there might be produced a harvest of righteousness and spiritual peace. Father, how tentative. Oh, Jesus. How tentative are so many people today who have just had their ears tickled. 
you never tell us that we are fine the way that we are. That you want to bless our lives with prosperity. You call us to lay down our lives. You call us to surrender to your Holy Spirit. You call us to say to you, Lord, here am I. Take me, send me, use me in whatever way you want. You call us as parents to lay our children on the altar and say, Lord, they belong to you, not me. You determine their future and you determine what you want them to be, not me. Oh, Lord God. We pray that when you return, Lord Jesus, we will not be asleep thinking that everything's okay. But we will have been allowing you to work in our lives, to purify us, to lead us into a deeper obedience. And you will find us praying that we will be worthy to stand before you. Doesn't matter today whether you're 12 years old or whether you are 92 years old. Every one of us need to take dedicated, uninterrupted, set apart time, no phone, in our closets, and say, Lord Jesus, I turn my eyes to you. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me. Show me what needs to change in my life. Cause me to hunger and thirst for you until I can't stand it. Help me to live according to your worth and not what I like, what I want. If you do that, he will speak to you. If you don't do that, you're asleep. So, Father, we pray, do that work in us. Give us that prompting this week. Motivate us. May our will be strong enough that we can look at your word and know what we need to do and pursue you. May we hide your word today in our hearts so that we become the people that you've called us to be.